Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S. and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Now Appalachia. We are carried and broadcast courtesy of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us as we continue to profile the outstanding authors and outstanding works connected to and about the Appalachian region. And we certainly have one of those brand new works that you are going to want to add to your Appalachian to be red pile. Uh, The title of the work is called Hillsville Remembered, Public Memory, Historical Silence, and Appalachia's Most Notorious Shootout. And I'm delighted to have author and uh, Appalachian rhetorician and uh, Appalachian writer Travis Roundtree is our guest here today on the program to talk about this book. He's the assistant professor of English currently at Western Carolina University. His works have appeared in North Carolina Folklore Journal, Appalachian Journal, the Journal of Southern History, as well as Storytelling in Queer Appalachia, Imagining and Writing the Unspeakable Other, which is a terrific book that you want to add also to your to-be-read pile. If you're looking for uh, some diversity in your Appalachian reading list, I would highly recommend that book as well. Travis participated uh, in that as well, but he is the author of this terrific new book. It's called Hillsville Remembered, published by University of Kentucky Press. So Travis, welcome to Now Appalachia. Great to have you on the program today. Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, you having me on here. Great to have you on. I've been so excited to talk to you about this book. I had an opportunity to read an arc of this uh, a few months ago, and I just fell in love with the story uh, for a variety of different reasons. One, because it tells us a story uh, that took place back in March of 1912 in a little community called uh, Hillsville, Virginia, which I'll ask you to talk about here in just a second. But it's also one of those stories that even folks from Appalachia or with strong connections to Appalachia or people that are voracious readers of Appalachian literature may not know a, a lot about. And I know that uh, this book came started really for you and came out of a class that you took uh, at Appalachian State University, and then ultimately you finished it as your dissertation at the University of Louisville. But I wanted to ask you before we get into some of the specifics of the book, what got you interested in this story? Why Hillsville, Virginia? Why this shootout? What was it about this story that just grabbed your attention and just really wouldn't let go and made you ultimately want to write a book about it? So the biggest thing is how the story kind of, or how my love of the story got started. Um, Before the class at Appalachian State, um, I was charged with writing a seminar paper for um, John Williams' uh, Appalachian history class. And I didn't know what I was going to write. And so I went home and was talking to my grandparents about it, who were I've lost all my grandparents. The book's kind of dedicated to them. But I was talking to my grandfather um, about it. And he told me this story about being run out of Hillsville. Like basically, um, you know, they were, he was on the street with my grandmother and another couple. And this guy, I just like walked up to him and said, Are you Alan? And the guy, when my grandfather was like, yeah, or my papa was like, yeah. And the guy was like, well, you need to get the hell out of town. And they were like, um, okay, or there's going to be trouble. And my grandfather was like, okay, bye. Like, and they got, they left. So that really started in my, you know, my papa told me that story. And so I really just dove into the research about that. And just every avenue, every retelling, every 
just the more I dug into it and the more folks I talked about it, the more interesting it became. Um, so I found there's like detective, little detective um, comic books that are out. There's a podcast about it. There's two novels that are about it. There's at least two plays that are about it. And there's like everything I found about the shootout just fascinated me in the way that it was retold. So the historical event is great. And like, I appreciate that for the historical event and what it is. But what really interests me as a rhetorician um, uh, uh, is how it's retold and who's doing the re retelling and, and why are they telling it that way? Very good. Yeah. Very good. And I what know are they benefiting it or what are they leaving out? Yeah, absolutely. And I know there's a term that you oh, mentioned in the book, and you've kind of defined that uh, briefly here just a second ago, but I'll have you kind of maybe go into a little bit more depth. And that is this idea of rhetorical rememberings. Um, I, I know you've, you've coined that term and used it a lot uh, in the book. And it reminded me of uh, eyewitness accounts, you know, when there are uh, investigations, police investigations. And I've heard a lot of law enforcement officers say that eyewitness accounts are, are so um, unreliable because you could have two people witnessing the exact same event and you're going to get two sets of differing perspectives and opinions, even if they get the color of the, the, you know, the, the perpetrator shirt correct or the victim shirt correct, how it got to the point is going to be totally different. It reminded me a little bit of that, but uh, talk a little bit about rhetorical remembering. So what is that concept and why does it apply so importantly and specifically to your book? So a lot of what you're talking about too in public memory studies is called collective memory. Um, what you have two people that, that witness a certain event or, or, saw a certain event from different points of view. Um, and it's hard to sort of reconcile that too. Um, what what makes this a little bit different, what makes mine public memory as opposed to collective memory is it's around one certain event and it's housed in these certain places, right? So museums or a play or something else. And so it's a little bit different than collective memory, but but for the purposes of, of analyzing and, and for talking about these different sites of memory, uh, I, I call it rhetorical remembering, um, and that's, I'm just reading straight from the book, it's how individuals create public or private artifacts or memories that construct meaning about a public event. These mem meanings, while attempting to construct the history of the event, depict the creator's own rhetorical approach to the event. So we see, like I talked about earlier, you have these three different museums that are local to Hillsville, but tell it in many very different ways, right? It's still about the shootout. But one depends on more like vernacular stuff like the newspapers and it has like Floyd Allen's saddlebag in it, which could be that. Who knows? Um, whereas another one, you know, in Mount Airy, uh, you have the sort of federally sanctioned uh, retelling of this that depends very much on the history of Appalachia as a region um, and not on the more local telling. And then the courthouse, uh, the Carroll County Historical Association has a really amazing you know, place in the actual, the, the like one of the offices of the courthouse um, where the event happened, right? And they have all kinds of, it's sort of uh, Sidney Allen's woodworking and like all kinds of stuff there that shows some more, just a different retelling of it. Um, so those are very different rhetorical rememberings about the big, bigger event too. Um, one thing that you will see with that some more often than not is it's very masculine and it's very violent always. I mean, it was a shootout, so it's, that's, you know, it's going to be violent. Um, but you do have one appearance of, of a woman uh, in the Carroll County, in the museum there. Um, that's actually she's, like, she's claimed to have been defending her father, which she wasn't even there, like at the shootout. So 
uh, that's kind of a cool little tidbit in the last chapter that I talk about. Very good. Very just, good. Quote unquote, the first appearance, not first, but one of the appearances of fake news, right? <laughs> that <we see. laughs> yeah, that, that was my point. I was, I was like, you know, this is one of the early cases of fake news before we <laughs> knew what fake news was, before we, mm -hmm. we had a concept of, before we had 24 hour news and all this other sort of stuff. When the, when the town newspaper was the big news source, you know, oh, uh, yeah. the, the, very, very well said about that. I, yes, I completely mm -hmm. agree. It is a first example of fake news for sure. And that was in like the time that was in the New York, I think that was in the New York Times, if I'm not mistaken like which was like you know amazing so absolutely yeah very true very true so march 14th 1912 hillsville west virginia just to kind of encapsulate what the story's about uh we we meet a man named floyd allen who was mm -hmm. convicted of three criminal charges assault maiming and the rescue of prisoners in custody uh and this all started out between uh, uh this before it got to that point it started as sort of a a, a scuffle between uh floyd allen's nephews over a young woman um, and then he ends up being charged uh, or, or being arrested because he hit a deputy in the head with a pistol. I don't mean to laugh at this, but this this is just such a, a true small town Appalachian brawl when I think about it and read over it. Um, but what ended up happening was when, when the jury returned the verdict and found him guilty, he stood up and said, gentlemen, I ain't a going. Uh, you know, I'm not going. I'm not going to jail. I'm not going to prison. A firefight ensues. Uh, it ends up with uh, five people um, are, are dead. Seven others are wounded in this crowded courtroom. So that's kind of what the 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 impact of the shootout. But take us back a minute, Floyd Allen. Kind of who was he uh, as as a person? And Hillsdale, Virginia, back in this point, 1912. What what was the community like then uh, at that particular time? And then Floyd Allen. Who, who was he? And and how does he kind of fit in? You know, his life story, his background. How does he fit into the whole structure of of the shootout that happens? So um, the biggest thing in Hillsville is the, the between the Allen man and the local government, something to keep in mind that I bring up in the book um, is that uh, one was Republican and the other were Democrat. And so there was a big heavy. So this was like you'll see in a lot. And this is how it kind of ties in with with, you know, Appalachian feuds, which Altina Waller's book is really great about addressing that. Um, it's called Feud by Altina uh, Waller. Um, uh so uh, Floyd Allen, Floyd and his brother Sidney, they were both productive folks in the community, right? Everybody knew the Allens. Everybody like knew uh, Floyd ran a store in town. Like they, of course, they like did run moonshine and got in trouble for that a few times, right? So they knew the law. Um, Floyd had uh, several sons. His son Claude was the one uh, that was caught up in the shootout. And Floyd and Claude both for the, for the 47th and 48th uh, men to be uh, put to death in the state of Virginia by electrocution in Richmond. Um, Claude went to business school in Raleigh, came back to Hillsville, Virginia, um, you know, took care of his mother. Uh, Floyd, Floyd's wife, Francis, and Claude's mother, Francis, was kind of not well. Um, uh, I had a lot of just medical issues and stuff. Uh, and so they took care of her. Um, excuse me, his brother, Sidna Allen, who is also... Um, uh, sort of well-known in the retelling. Sidna um, had this really great story of like, or great life of, he he went to Alaska and um, ran basically a store in, in Yukon and like sold a lot of things, made a lot of money. That's how he was able to make, uh, to build the, the big Victorian house um, that we see um, now outside of Hillsville. And so the, the big thing, 
And what I want the book to do is to retell the sort of truthful story of the Allen men um, and how they were big folks in the community. Everybody knew who they were, um, you know, and their family was pretty expensive. I mean, the the, the fight that broke out was in Garland Allen's church by his nephews, um, <laughs> you know, and we see like a, there's it, it's just really fascinating. They're a really cool story. And of course, Sidna left us. Um, this really great like memoir of his life uh that i actually have a copy of the first edition of uh a friend of mine found and uh so it's really kind of cool to see who they were and how they operated within the community even before the shootout happened um ron hall is the local historian in hillsville and I, I always mention his name because he wrote like literally the book um, that I depended on for a lot of my research for this project. And he's a lovely person as well. Uh, the book called The Carroll County Courthouse Tragedy. And um, it's you can it's everywhere in Hillsville, too. And, uh, and that gives a lot of extensive background, not only on Floyd and Claude or Sidna, um, but also pretty much everybody that was involved in the shootout. Um, so that's sort of like who they were. Um Floyd and Dexter Goad, Dexter Goad was the clerk of court. They did not get along. And in fact, uh, I have um, scanned copies of Floyd's sort of last testimony in prison uh, written by Cla his son, Claude. Um, and Floyd calls Dexter Goad like his sworn enemy. Uh, it was just like gives me chills to see that in his in Claude's handwriting. I'm like, oh, my God. Um, so we do see they did not get along very well <laughs> with a lot of folks in town. Um, and a lot of that rift is still exist that still exists before the play has, um, you know, helped with that, which I'll talk about later. But yeah, yeah, it's it, it's really interesting to hear um, about about them and the family and how they sort of operated and, and stuff as well. Excellent. We're getting out. So the, the book is really divided up into four chapters and, and you kind of touched on some of this. Chapter one is sort of the national and local newspaper constructions of the shootout, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, portraying us or I, I say us, you know, Appalachians and the people involved is kind of these these other, other savages that, you know, left to their own devices would do something like this. Chapter two uh, kind of takes us inside the performative actions of the shootout. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we get sort of a more sympathetic or humanistic view of the people that are involved. Uh, chapter three talks about the, the local museums, as you've talked about, and, and kind of how they continue to engage in the Carroll County Historical Society. Uh, chapter four, though, was really interesting. And I really like this. And I want to ask you a little bit about it. Centers on... Uh, kind of the portrayals of how the shootout is looking and being presented through the voices of women uh, mm -hmm. in Hillsville, who we know uh, at this period of history, if you know anything about uh, this period in history, um, uh, prior to women being able to vote and all of this, women were, were kind of seen but not heard, uh, especially in, in Appalachia, especially in small towns in Appalachia. Uh, but we kind of see that, uh, see that their voice and kind of their perspectives of what happened there. Can you talk a little bit about that, the, the importance of that, of having that opportunity to see the the people and the circumstances of the shootout from their prism, uh, as opposed to just the men and kind of the media involved in the story? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's really fascinating to see these. Um, the women's portrayal, um, because. We don't see that at all um, in the media a lot, but we don't. 
in, in the museums and a lot of the retellings, it's like these are the men that were caught up and shot up the courthouse and then they escaped and there's a big manhunt, right, that they're found. So what happens after that, like, is that these that their wives and daughters have to, like, go in with their lives, right? So, um, so we have, you know, uh, these sort of experiences that we don't know about. And so in the last chapter, what I did uh, in library, the Library of Virginia, too, in their archives, I had them, you know, bring a lot of everything, basically everything they had on the shootout, I, I sifted through, including like stuff that would like, I was like, I don't know what this is all over this, like affidavits and all this stuff that was like, is this blood? Is it dirt? I don't know. Um, which, <laughs> yay, archival work, right? Um, <laughs> but what I found are these cool, like, just semblances of, like, letters from women's groups that were, that were created a, a medal for Claude, um, you know, and, you know, petitions for him not to be put to death because he was defending his father's honor. Um, I found the letter from Jezebel Goad in the 60s, which um, she was approached by the, the woman I was talking about who earlier who was rumored to have been helping her father reload his pistol when she wasn't even there. Um, a letter that she just like writes and said, like, this reporter wanted to talk to her and she's like, no, she's like, I don't I don't want to I want to remain silent on this whole thing and I'll never talk about it again. And from that, we can see just the trauma and I used a lot of rhetorical silences there, um, feminine rhetorical silence there to, to show the empowerment that that gave her. Um, so uh, another one is uh, Betty uh, Sidna's wife, uh, um, the uh, Baldwin Feltz agency, the detectives after the shootout happened were searching for, for Sidna because he had gone into hiding. And so they approached Betty, his wife, and were like, hey, do you have a picture of him? And they she like gives them like this, old picture that doesn't even look like him anymore and so it's just it's it's that's empowerment again and then lastly then the most important i think in my opinion is Frances allen um who is for floyd's uh wife and um claude's mother um she in the plays by frank levering who was a local um person from hillsville there um who went to la and came back to hillsville and produced wrote these plays and um directed them uh he gives Francis a huge voice in the plays, which is not something that we see. Really, the only thing that we hear a lot of from Francis, she sort of steers clear of the media, but we um, get a note that she wrote or a letter for that appears in the newspaper asking for money um, after the trial um, and her barn was burned down, including all of her stuff, and she needed money for lawyers for Claude and Floyd. And so that's really publicly the only big thing that we hear from from her but in the play she i mean it gives me chills to like just think about like the play starts with uh you're hungry for uh blood that's what you're here for or something like that and it is just it's amazing and she's given basically the last word of the in the play as well too um and it is just incredibly powerful there i think too and i think that that really leads to that um rhetorical empathy that I talk about in the book too of of how that applies not only to the Allen side but also to the local government side of instilling those sort of emotions there as well too um from from the women that we don't hear about before very often right um uh, one last uh woman too that I that I talk about there is uh, Maud I Roller who um she was so Sidna escaped with his other nephew there's a lot of like the same names but it's Sidna and um, 
Wesley Edwards escaped out West and they were caught because Maude and Wesley were kind of like boyfriend, girlfriend. And so the Baps, the Hatfields, oh my gosh, the Baldwin Phelps folks followed her out to visit him. And that's how basically how she like led him to catch Floyd and Wesley Edwards. So, um, so it's, and you know, I talk about her in the book as well too. And of course the media covered all that as well too. So um, women play a powerful role in this. And so in the last chapter, I really wanted to kind of have that known um, as well. Um, and there've been a couple of presentations about it in Hillsville too, especially at the centennial that happened. Um, but I thought that it was really important to have their voices known. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Very good. We're speaking with author Travis Roundtree today on this episode of Now Appalachia. He's the author of the brand new book, Hillsville Remembered, Public Memory, Historical Silence, and Appalachia's Most Notorious Shootout. So Travis, we'll come back uh, to the book in just a second, but I wanted to ask you uh, a couple of questions. I know you spent a majority of your life uh, living, going to school, working in Appalachia. Um, what's something about Appalachia that you love? Or maybe folks that aren't from the region or don't have a strong connection to the region maybe don't understand or misunderstand. What is it about Appalachia? What's something about Appalachia that you love, either uh, living here, writing about here, writing from here? What's something that you really love about the region? Um, oh, gosh, that's a great question. Um, the geography, I've always, I've always felt a pull to the mountains. Um, and I know in Appalachian literature, they call that blood memory. And I haven't traced that, but I feel, I've always felt at home here in Edinburgh, Scotland, which is really weird. Um, but because of that little serpentine mineral probably that goes through here, I've always felt a draw. I've always loved the mountains. Um, the sense of community that we have here and the sense of storytelling. Um, while I did grow up in Richmond, Virginia, I found a lot of similarities between the two. Um uh, the other thing is the diversity of the region that we can see and find now, um, and that's becoming more apparent uh, in the region, um, is uh, is something that's really great. And I have sort of made it my job and one of my jobs in Silva, North Carolina here to try to bring as much more uh, diversity to the region. And not only that, but to acknowledge the diversity that's already been here. Um, you know, obviously, I'm living in the land of the Cherokee, right? Um, but I'm also talking about LGBTQ folks um, who were in the region during the 80s and before um, and, and kind of like what I did with the women voices in the book um, and, and having the voices to, of those folks who were here in the 80s um, and earlier um, retold or have them tell their own stories um, and record those stories, too. Um, but I think and, and just the music to music and literature of the region, I've always loved. You know, I took a whole class on on bluegrass. When I was at App State, I took a country music class. I mean, like Bristol's right down the road. Like there's I think those are like the biggest things as well here. Um, and that just I just always feel at home here. Yeah. Yeah. Very well. Very well. Said. And I've always done that. Yeah, Since absolutely. I, I did. Uh, I did my undergraduate at James Madison University and joined the uh, the Moose Lodge when I was there. That's <laughs> an undergraduate. <laughs> <laughs> and like I was just wanted to be immersed in that so much. So it's like little 21-year-old Travis there with all these folks in their 40s and 50s working at the factory. And I'm like, I'm starting literature. <laughs> you go through the whole ritual and the induction ceremonies and all of that. Yeah. I love it. Oh yeah. I was I was yeah, I was in it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's terrific. Walks all of it. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And I also know uh, uh from being friends with you and and stalking you 
silently on social media that you are a voracious reader and you mm. read all kinds of everything and you're so kind to share good book recommendations and book reviews and also some that you didn't necessarily like. What are some books you've read recently? It uh, doesn't necessarily have to be connected to Appalachia, but just maybe anything you've read recently that you really liked, that you thought was a good example of storytelling, good writing. What are some things that have stood out to you most recently that you really enjoyed? So uh, I have to, Silas House's Lark Everlasting is amazing. Uh, I read that probably over the summer. Um, I'm currently reading Barbara Kingsolver's uh, Demon, Co uh, Demon Copperhead, uh, which is really good, but oh, it's so like good. very yeah. intense. Like, um, but also, you know, my I have a friend of mine here, a colleague that that is a um, Dickens scholar, and he's like, "Well, you have to read David Copperfield first. I'm like, "I know, I will." Um, so I know I'm gonna go back and read that. Um, but uh, some other ones, um, uh, Tar Hollow Trans, which is a book that's coming out. Um, in fact, I have a copy of it right here um, by Stacy Jane Grover, um, which is incredible. And just the book is already getting a lot of reviews. It's a collected collection of essays, but it's just going to be really incredible for the region, I feel like, as well, too. Um, I have a couple of really good authors that I read, try to read as much as they write. Um, and I've also done a lot of like reading from folks across the pond. Uh, Sean Hewitt's uh, All Down Darkness Wide, which is like oh, so good. Incredibly, oh my God. It's like, it's so intense, but it's so, and his poetry is really great too. Oh, yeah. That was, that was um, one of my favorite books I read last year. Uh, it just destroys you, but it's also really, really good. Um, so I think those were just a few of my really top ones. Um, I do the, I do the Goodreads sort of thing. And, um, I just read Giovanni's Room for the first time because I'd never read that. And that was really good. The other, another one, Difference is Born on the Lips by Michael Hendrick. Um, it's a British, um, it's like a, I'd say it's like an essay collection. Um, but it's really phenomenal. That's one of the best ones I think I've read in a long time. So uh, I do a lot of um, audiobooks too. That's why that's how I go through a lot too. So, um, but yeah, I it's again like why reasons why I love the region. It's just you get all of these diverse sort of ways of approaching it, um, and then stuff that you know from England and Scotland stuff that you know you find over there that applies to here too. So. Absolutely. We're speaking with Travis Roundtree here on Now Appalachia. He's the author of the brand new book, Hillsville Remembered, Public Memory, Historical Silence, and Appalachia's Most Notorious Shootout. So we'll go back to the book for just a couple more minutes here as we finish up, Travis. Uh, I wanted to ask you, have you gotten any feedback yet from the folks in Hillsville or any of the descendants of the people involved in the original story? Uh, and if so, what has the reaction been if you've received any of that uh, about the book? Have you heard anything, gotten any feedback, positive or negative about it? What What do they think about having this story kind of brought uh, out of the uh, historical archives back into the public conscious again? So the book officially isn't out till the 11th, I don't think. But it, people are already getting their hands on it. And it's already like get the bookseller here. Um, I had I posted it to social media when it came when I had my unboxing. Right. I got my like copies to send to people and I'd still need to send the ones to Hillsville. Um, I just had one response from uh, a person that I know there. He was incredible and I've just really enjoyed um, getting to know uh, this person. Um, and uh, so he was like, send me a copy. 
<laughs> like and it hadn't been out like I just posted 10 minutes later he calls me and he's like can you send me a copy and I'm like of course yeah so I haven't gotten a re much reception just quite yet about it um but I do plan on doing a reading at the courthouse if I can um I really think that that would be a fascinating thing to do and I hope it's my one thing that I really want this book to do is to empower those voices and to show this you know, event that happened um, in Hillsville and bring visibility to that uh, and bring a bring visibility in different ways to it, too, um, you know, to the museums and also to the folks involved and also to showcase the women's voices that I talked about earlier um, that I, I purposely ended the book with that because I think we need to figure out new ways of telling the story and also ways that don't depend on um, speculation and stereotype uh, that we see so much about Appalachia, that we see so much happening about Appalachia. Um, in some of the media depiction, it still happens about the shootout. And some of the other stuff that came out, like there's a podcast that's out that's really great, but it is like, pew, pew, like shoot them up kind of thing, which is for a certain audience, they're going to pay for it. Like they want to, they're invested in that, right? They want that like big dramatic stuff. Uh, which, they want the law, they want the law and order version of your story, in other words. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So, and again, it's not my story, but it's the story of the shootout. But um, so, and that's always happened. And so I, I, I really want this, I, I hope the text or the book brings out um, a, a realistic retelling of that. Um, we had Beth Macy here uh, a couple of weeks ago for the Lit Fest, um, which was amazing. Um, and I kind of told her, I was like, it's like, brutal honesty that you have in dope sick that you wrote and that we watched on tv and she's like brutal honesty and i'm like yeah like that's the sort of thing that i want to talk about the the shootout as well too like it's it was it was a big bad awful thing that split a community apart but also the reconciliation that's happening within that community um and the other voices that are being told there so that's really what i want to kind of have happen when i when i go visit as well too and hopefully it will um i just you know it's one of those things when you write a book like this you hope they like at least you get close to them appreciating it or or you're telling the right the right way of telling it too very yeah. good very good one one stylistic question i wanted to ask you uh, at the beginning of your four chapters there's a a little quote or a little blurb that starts right below the heading but before the first paragraph and and the two i really liked were chapters three and four they were all very good but chapter three uh, it says what do you want from me now once ain't enough for you greedy for guns and blood you want to see folks shot dead that's what you're here for trouble and that was francis allen uh in thunder in the hills and then in chapter four uh, we have a quote from the uh, exhibit that's at the Carroll County Historical Society Museum, which you've talked about, that says uh, gunfire, chaos and death ensued all in a moment. So in terms of putting those quotes there, were, were those quotes that you specifically chose that tailored in or tied into that, that chapter or tailored into what you were writing about? Or uh, is that something that you and University of Kentucky Press talked about? H how did those particular quotes make it into uh, the beginning of those chapters? Because I, I loved them all, but those two really, when I read those two, I was like, oh, wow. They really kind of <laughs> made me sort of stop and think for a moment. H how did those get into the book? I chose them. Um, and, and UK Press was like, oh, this is good. Uh, but uh, with, with again, like with Frances Allen, like I wanted her voice to be in there as much as possible. Um, and that, I mean, it like gave me chills when I when I saw her speak that into being, you know, because that's 
how they feel about that there, you know, and it's, it's, it, it's, it's just powerful. And to hear from her voice, and even though it may be a fictional voice, like, there's a certain guilt that you feel that she brings about to us as audience members of like, you're coming back to this again, we're trying to get over this, you know, um, or, or we find that this is something that should be remembered, but you might be like trying to just watch this for the wrong reasons. You know, I, and I really wanted to, to capture that. And I it was just, I, I loved that little semblance of that, of, of that piece. And in the end of it, um, her last words too are really good, which I think it had in the last chapter. Um, as for the other one, I mean, it was that chapter three you're talking about or chapter four? Yeah. Chapter four. Uh, the one, it, it was the shortest one, actually, uh, I think of all the, uh, of all the other ones, it's from the uh, exhibit that's at the Carroll County Historical Society. Yeah. It just says gunfire, chaos, and death ensued all in a moment. Yeah. Uh, and that again, I, I just, I think that sort of, and I, th I believe that even actually came from a media depiction that, that came out of that too, um, just to show like the big sort of, and this is like in some of the museums, it's like, oh, my God, look at this thing that happened. And especially like in the like just media depictions, like especially in the. Um, the museum. Um, and the uh, store, oh, my gosh, Harmon's Museum. Yeah, you see a lot of that in there, too. Um, uh, yeah, uh, but, you know, it's really fascinating to me, too, is how you see this sort of speculative like big moment stuff um, echoed locally as you did in the national newspapers too. So it wasn't something that was just contained to the national newspapers. Um, one of my favorite ones, I had a couple. Uh, one was that the Allen men came riding up on Shetland ponies. And if you know what a damn Shetland pony is, like, it's like, beer, <laughs> so, yes. like probably not Yosemite it, Sam. But. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's not the uh, type of ponies that you might see at the uh, Kentucky Horse Park, for example. No. Very different kind. Totally <laughs> different kind of ponies. <laughs> um, but and then, you know, more serious ones that that align with this too, where there was someone that wrote in that said, we either have to um, educate or exterminate these mountain people, basically, is that they use the ex educate or exterminate with the two big terms that I saw there. Um, and uh, so, you know, we have different depictions here. So I think I kind of wanted to show that with that as well. Um, uh, with that Very epigraph, good. I guess. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, they were great. And I really thought that um, I, I kind of read them twice. I read the chapters without reading those uh, mm. at the beginning. And then I went back and read it again, read the book through again before our interview and read it it sort of start to finish linearly starting with the, you know, with the chapter title and then the blurb and then the, and, and it really added a lot to it. You know, it, it really sets up for, you know, what's to come in those chapters. So I really, really thought that was a neat, that was a neat technique to have in the book. So as we finish up with you today, Travis, if anyone in our audience wants to get in contact with you to talk to you about the book or any other writing and research projects you have going on uh, there at Western Carolina, how can they uh, get in contact with you first of all, and then where can they get copies of Hillsville Remembered? So um, you can find me on Western site. Uh, I have a um, link. If you just Google Travis Roundtree, Western Carolina University, uh, you can find my email there. Um, I have a professional site that I need to update. Um, it's travisroundtree.com. Um, and uh, I also have a Twitter 
account. Um, I do some professional stuff on there, mostly professional stuff on there too. If you want to follow me on that, that's fine. Uh, feel free to contact me if you have questions about the book or anything like that. Um, where you can buy the book, I always am all about your local booksellers. Um, Amazon has it, but I'd rather you order it from local folks. I will tell you in Showcase City Lights here um, in Silva, North Carolina, uh, has a big display. So if you're in North Carolina, um, come to City Lights. Uh, they're amazing. Um, and I'll have a reading uh, here locally in April uh, later this month as the sort of book release party. Um, if you're in near Asheville, Malaprops is really good. But I, I do, again, want to advocate for local booksellers to to order and to sell these. Um, University, if you don't have one or if you can't get to one, University of Kentucky Press has it on their website as well, too. Um, and I just want to also thank you all for supporting me and also thank University of Kentucky Press for all the amazing things that they've done. And they've been incredible to work with uh, with the book. That's terrific. Our, our guest today here on Now Appalachia has been Travis Roundtree. He's assistant professor of English at Western Carolina University. He's had works appear in all kinds of journals and uh, Appalachian themed journals, including North Carolina Folklore Journal, Appalachian Journal, the Journal of Southern History and others. And he's the author of the brand new book that you're really going to want to check this out because not only is it a great story, uh, but it's a great insight into culture, into people, into memory, into how we recount and make connections with things that we witness and experience. The title of the book is Hillsville Remembered, Public Memory, Historical Silence, and Appalachia's Most Notorious Shootout. Travis, congratulations on the book. It's really, really terrific. A really, really terrific book to add to the scholarship of Appalachia. Wish you all the best on it. And thanks so much for the conversation today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, Elliot. We want to take a moment as we finish up this episode of Now Appalachia to give a special shout out to the executive producer of our program. Her name is Pam Stack. We could not put these podcasts together and put them on for you without the work and support of her behind the scenes. So we appreciate all that she does uh, for us and for all the podcasts that you hear on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And also a reminder that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. That is going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program, and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.